Section 16 of the Watergate Report, Volume 1. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Final Report of the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, Volume 1. 4. Primary Activities Segretti's most successful operation in the Democratic primaries was in Florida, where he recruited Bob Benz to head up the operation in Tampa, and Doug Kelly to help him in Miami. Segretti paid Benz $2,417 for his activities, and sent Kelly $3,436 for his help. Segretti was also fairly successful in recruiting people for the California primary. These individuals included James Robert Norton, who obtained an answering service for Segretti in East St. Louis, and a number of other individuals with expertise in state politics that Segretti could rely on to distribute literature and to harass appearances by Democratic candidates. In addition, Segretti recruited Tom Visney and Charles Svillick to create problems for the Democrats in Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin, and Skip Zimmer and Bob Neely for work in the Pennsylvania primary. Finally, Segretti enlisted the help of Michael Martin Jr. for the New York primary, and Bobby Garner of Houston to provide help in Texas, if that state were to become crucial. The following account is a summary of the kinds of activities in which Segretti and his associates engaged during the 1972 campaign. A. Infiltrators, Florida One of the objectives that Chapin outlined to Segretti for his operations was to place infiltrators in Democratic primary campaigns to gather information and to create division among the Democratic candidates. When Robert Benz met Segretti for the first time, he was told to obtain hecklers, pickets, and also to get people to infiltrate into the campaigns to gather information, and that Segretti would provide money to pay these people. Benz immediately recruited Peg Griffin, a secretary in Tampa, active in Republican politics, and asked her to infiltrate the Muskie campaign. Benz testified that he told the Muskie people that she was a Republican, that she did not care for the president's policies, and that she was now a backer of Senator Muskie. Benz paid Miss Griffin $75 a month to infiltrate the campaign. In exchange, Griffin provided Benz with campaign literature, information about the campaign strategy, stationery from Senator Muskie's campaign, names of the campaign staff and precinct captains for Senator Muskie, and some names of financial contributors. Benz testified that he in turn sent all of the information that he received from Miss Griffin to Segretti's post office box in Los Angeles. Much of the information that Griffin was able to provide from the Muskie campaign headquarters was subsequently used to further many of the disruptive acts that were perpetrated in the Florida campaign. Griffin was also quite successful in disrupting the campaign on her own. For example, in early January 1972, she learned of a secret $1,000-a-plate fundraising dinner for Senator Muskie following a public reception and added this information on as the last two lines of a press release from the Muskie campaign. The dinner was subsequently canceled by Senator Muskie because of the publicity it received. Benz testified he also recruited Ezeline Froelich to infiltrate the Jackson campaign in Florida. Froelich provided Benz with the same kind of information from Senator Jackson's campaign that Peg Griffin gathered from Muskie's. This information proved to be most valuable in conducting Benz's field activities. Benz attempted to recruit individuals to infiltrate the Humphrey and Wallace campaigns as well, but was unsuccessful in these efforts. Benz later traveled to Pennsylvania to recruit individuals to infiltrate the primary campaigns there, but he was not as successful as he had been in Florida. Segretti was also under the impression that Doug Kelly in Miami had two infiltrators into the Muskie campaign. However, Kelly consistently testified that he had no infiltrators or informants in any campaigns in Miami. California 
Segretti was also successful in recruiting infiltrators for the California primary. In the Los Angeles area, Segretti talked to Turnquist, Chapin's friend from high school, who in turn contacted Pat O'Brien and recruited him to work in the Muskie campaign in Los Angeles and report back any political intelligence. O'Brien was hired in December 1971 and worked part-time through April 1972 in the Muskie campaign. In San Francisco, Mike Silva was recruited by Bob Norton to obtain campaign intelligence from the Muskie headquarters and be a contact in San Francisco for Segretti. Silva told Segretti that he had placed two infiltrators in the Muskie campaign in late February 1972. Silva stated in an interview, however, that he did not actually place infiltrators in the campaign, but merely gathered campaign literature from a political science course at San Francisco State University and forwarded the material on to Segretti at his post office box in Los Angeles. New York. In New York, Segretti hired Michael Martin Jr. to infiltrate the Humphrey campaign and report any intelligence information that he gathered. Martin apparently was such a successful infiltrator that he was offered a position as director of the Northern New York campaign for Humphrey, but Segretti said that Martin turned down the position so he could stay in New York City and continue reporting to Segretti. Texas. In Texas, Segretti paid Bobby Garner of Houston $265, some of which was to go to an infiltrator in the Muskie campaign in Texas. This infiltrator was to work during the months of February, March, and April, gathering intelligence and mailing back to Segretti's post office box in Los Angeles. The success of the Segretti operation in infiltrating primary campaigns also contributed to the success of their other efforts to disrupt and harass Democratic candidates. B. Surveillance in his meeting with Dwight Chapin in early November 1971, Segretti learned that Senator Muskie would be visiting the Los Angeles area about November 6th. Segretti testified that Chapin instructed him to hire some pickets for Muskie's appearances there and to learn the logistics of Senator Muskie's traveling party. Segretti said he called Jess Burdick, an ex-CID agent who worked as a private detective in the Los Angeles area, and hired him to tail Senator Muskie during his trip to Los Angeles. Burdick followed Muskie for the weekend and reported back to Segretti information such as the license numbers of the vehicles used by the Muskie campaign. When Burdick charged Segretti $325 for his services, Segretti thought the price was steep for the information that was provided and therefore did not use Burdick after the one occasion in November. Physical surveillance of Senator Muskie also occurred in the Florida primary when Robert Benz had his agents tail Senators Muskie and Jackson when they were in the Tampa area. C. Disruptions. I. Distribution of false and misleading literature. One of the most successful tactics for disrupting the Democratic primary campaigns used by Segretti and his operatives was the distribution of false and misleading literature. Instances of this particular campaign abuse occurred in nearly every primary state. Nowhere in any of this literature was it noted that the literature was financed by funds from the Committee to Reelect the President. Pre primary. After Segretti was informed by Dwight Chapin that Senator Muskie was appearing at Whittier College in November 1971, he had a number of handouts with hard questions printed up which he handed out to students at the Whittier rally. Someone in the crowd asked Muskie about his views on abortion, one of the questions on Segretti's handout. In the White House news summary of the event that Chapin sent Segretti, Chapin noted that Segretti's question had been asked. Florida False and misleading literature was most widely distributed in the Florida primary. The following list is a catalog of the various abuses in this area perpetrated in Florida by Segretti and his operatives. 1. 
about 300 red dayglow posters were distributed throughout the state which said, Help Muskie in Bussing, Sick, More Children Now. The poster was signed by the Mothers Backing Muskie Committee, a non-existent committee, and the intent of the poster was to identify Senator Muskie with a strong pro-busing position, a very unpopular issue in Florida. Most of these posters were distributed by Benz, Segretti, and Kelly in the Tampa and Miami areas of Florida. 2. About a thousand 4x6-inch cards were printed up and distributed at a Tampa rally for Governor George Wallace by Robert Benz and his agents. The cards read, If you liked Hitler, you'll just love Wallace. On the other side of the card, it stated, A vote for Wallace is a wasted vote. On March 14, cast your vote for Senator Edmund Muskie. There was no indication on the cards that they were financed by Nixon campaign funds. The clear intent of the literature was to drive a wedge between the Wallace and Muskie campaigns. 3. On February 25, 1972, a letter was sent on copied Muskie campaign stationery to the campaign manager of the Florida Jackson campaign and to syndicated columnists which stated that Senator Muskie's campaign was using government typewriters as well as government employees drawing government salaries. This letter was sent to Jackson campaign headquarters in Tampa and in Washington, D.C., and copies of the letter were also sent to local media. The facts on which the letter was based were totally fabricated by Segretti, and Doug Kelly and Bob Bentz arranged for the distribution of the letter on copied stationery Pat Griffin provided from the Muskie campaign. 4. Similarly, in March 1972, Segretti sent Bentz a counterfeit letter on Muskie stationery containing allegations of sexual improprieties involving Democratic presidential candidates Jackson and Humphrey. Segretti instructed Bentz to have 20 to 40 copies of the letter printed on Senator Muskie's stationery, which Segretti enclosed, and distributed. Bentz gave the material to George Hearing, a local recruit of Bentz, who duplicated the letter on Muskie's stationery and mailed the letter to supporters of Senator Jackson. Hearing's list of Jackson supporters was given to him by Bentz, who had obtained the information from Ezzeline Froelich, the infiltrator in Senator Jackson's campaign. This phony, scurrilous letter on Muskie's stationery against Senators Jackson and Humphrey won praise for Segretti from Chapin. On learning that the cost of the reproduction of the letter was only $20, Segretti testified that Chapin told him that for that small sum, he had obtained $10,000 to $20,000 worth of benefit for the president's re-election campaign. In May 1973, indictments concerning this incident were brought by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Tampa. At that time, Robert Bentz was given immunity and was not prosecuted, while George Hearing was prosecuted and convicted on one count of violating 18 U.S.C. 612, the law prohibiting distribution of unsigned political literature. Similarly, Donald Segretti was indicted for a number of violations of 18 U.S.C. 612. Mr. Hearing, the individual who mailed the letter, was sentenced to one year in prison. Mr. Segretti, the originator of the scheme, was sentenced to six months in prison after pleading guilty to three counts in federal district court in Washington, D.C. Robert Bentz, the individual who recruited Hearing and Froelich, and who directed Hearing to mail the letter, was neither indicted nor convicted of any crimes. 5. A number of pamphlets advertising a free lunch at Muskie's campaign headquarters were distributed in May by Doug Kelly. The pamphlets also advertised free liquor and a chance to meet Senator Muskie and his wife. These pamphlets were distributed all over Miami, and a small pile of them was left at the Lindsay headquarters. The morning before the lunch was to occur, Kelly called Muskie headquarters and said that the Lindsay campaign was responsible for the false invitations. The dual objectives of the literature were thus to disrupt the Muskie campaign and to drive a wedge between Lindsay and Muskie.
6. Another invitation to a Muskie campaign meeting in Miami was obtained from the Muskie campaign by Segretti and Kelly. A line was added to the invitation which stated, free food and alcoholic beverages provided, and these were distributed in the Miami area. 7. Some press releases were written on Muskie stationery in Miami by Doug Kelly, Segretti's main contact in the area. Kelly recalled sending out three or four bogus press releases, most of which sought to misrepresent the position of Senator Muskie on issues such as Israel and busing, and to draw attention to the position of Senator Humphrey. These releases were yet another tactic for carrying out the strategy of dividing the Democrats. 8. Kelly testified that he also distributed flyers announcing a speech by former Secretary of the Interior Udall that had been canceled by the Young Democrats. The flyers resulted in some disruption, Kelly testified, since the speech had to be rescheduled after the flyers appeared. 9. Flyers were passed out in Miami by Doug Kelly that appeared to be from Mayor Lindsay, which attacked Senator Muskie's stand on Israel. These flyers noted that Senator Muskie felt that Israel should be treated the same way as Cuba, thus antagonizing both Jewish and Cuban-American voters. Many of these flyers were distributed in Miami Beach by being placed under windshield vipers of cars that were parked at synagogues. 10. Other examples of false testimony passed out in the Florida primary by Segretti and his contacts are found in the exhibits introduced during the Segretti testimony. Wisconsin. Similar kinds of false and misleading literature were distributed in the Washington primary by Segretti and his agents. Segretti and Benz drove to Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the end of March 1972 to pull pranks before the April 4th primary. There, they distributed a false invitation for a free lunch with Senator Humphrey on April Fool's Day, at which free drinks were to be given away, and guests would have the opportunity to meet Senator Humphrey, Lauren Green, and Mrs. Martin Luther King. The invitation was intended to disrupt the Humphrey campaign, much as Segretti had done to Muskie in Florida. Benz also stated that he and Segretti called the local newspapers to inform them that the invitations had been printed by Muskie supporters. Numerous bumper stickers with derogatory sexual slogans about Senator Muskie were put up and distributed by Segretti and Benz in Wisconsin. They were intended to embarrass Senator Muskie and to help drive down his vote total in Wisconsin. The bumper stickers were again unidentified as to their source. Illinois. Much of the same material that was distributed in Wisconsin was also distributed in Illinois by Tom Visney, Segretti's main recruit there. In addition, Segretti sent Visney copies of the pamphlet from the Citizens for a Liberal Alternative, the non-existent Citizens Committee discussed earlier. This pamphlet, written in the White House and printed by CRP, was intended to divide the Democrats among themselves. District of Columbia On about April 13, 1972, Segretti testified that he flew to Washington at the suggestion of E. Howard Hunt, to organize disruptive activities at a Muskie fundraiser scheduled for April 17, 1972. Doug Kelly, who also flew up for the occasion, and Segretti distributed literature which described the fundraising dinner and requested pickets outside the dinner to protest the fat cats. California By the time of the California primary, the main Democratic contenders were Senator McGovern and Senator Humphrey. Most of the false and misleading literature distributed by Segretti and his contacts in California attacked one of the Democratic candidates and attributed the attack to another candidate, thus attempting to further divide the Democrats and make it more difficult for them to regroup following the convention. Months before the primary, Segretti reprinted a newspaper advertisement by Stuart Mott and the Committee for Honesty in Politics, which abhorred the secret money in presidential politics. 
At the bottom of the reprint, Segretti added the note, The committee will look for your names as part of Muskie's Fat Cats. They better be there. This doctored reprint was distributed to individuals entering a fundraiser for Senator Muskie in Los Angeles by Segretti's agents in the area. As the primary approached, the literature written and distributed by Segretti and his contacts became much more vicious. Some examples follow. 1. Segretti sent out a statement on Humphrey press release stationery for immediate release which said that Representative Shirley Chrisholm had been committed to a private home for the mentally ill from February 1951 until April 1952. The release went on to describe in the most vicious and scurrilous terms the alleged behavior that Representative Chris Holm demonstrated at that time. At the bottom of the fake press release were the initials HHH. This release was mailed out to 10 or 15 California newspapers. Segretti testified that he sent the release to Dwight Chapin, who laughed for a period of time about the bogus release. 2. Two other false press releases on Hubert Humphrey stationery were mailed out to the newspapers by Segretti. One release stated that former President Lyndon Johnson favored Humphrey as the Democratic nominee, and the other one misrepresented Humphrey's position on one of the initiatives on the California ballot in 1972. Most of the bogus candidate stationery that was used by Segretti to pull his so-called pranks was printed for him by Jose Ariola in Miami, the printer whose name Segretti received from Howard Hunt. 3. Segretti also had bumper stickers printed and distributed throughout California which said, Humphrey, he started the war, don't give him another chance. More than 1,000 of these bumper stickers were printed, most of which were distributed in California. The bumper stickers were signed by the Democrats for a Peace Candidate, another non-existent group which was created by Segretti. 4. In addition, using as a model the pamphlet from the Citizens for a Liberal Alternative that had been drafted by Ken Kachigian and Pat Buchanan in the White House, Segretti had 3,000 pamphlets printed up with a picture of Senator Humphrey holding a large fish and the caption, Humphrey, a fishy smell for the White House. The objective of the pamphlet was to have the Humphrey people blame McGovern for this scurrilous, fictitious piece of literature. These pamphlets were distributed in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and in Orange County. 5. Segretti was also responsible for preparing and mailing a letter over the forged signature of Barbara Barron the campaign coordinator of Senator McCarthy's California campaign, to McCarthy delegates and Chrisholm supporters urging them to shift their support to Senator Humphrey. This letter was printed on McCarthy 1972 stationery, and many of the people who received the mailing letter have always believed that Barbara Barron was responsible for the letter. In fact, Barbara Barron had absolutely nothing to do with the mailing since it was solely a product of Segretti's fertile imagination. 6. Segretti also sent letters on Yorty for President stationery to local newspapers such as the Los Angeles Free Press. These letters claimed that the forged letters from Barbara Barron to the McCarthy delegates and Chris Holmes supporters were the responsibility of the Yorty campaign. The Los Angeles Free Press ran the story that the forged letters had in fact come from the Yorty for President committee. Thus, the forged letters and the subsequent fake letter claiming responsibility for the initial forgeries were quite successful in sowing dissension among the California Democrats. According to Frank Mankiewicz, these examples of false literature distributed in the campaign had a serious impact on the Democratic candidates themselves. He testified, We, the McGovern campaign and the Humphrey campaign, were no longer opponents. We had become enemies, and I think largely as a result of this activity. In addition, Senator Muskie and his staff blamed the false and scurrilous literature on both Senator McGovern and his supporters as well as Senator Humphrey's campaign. 
The false literature exacerbated the normal differences among the candidates and helped to create a deeply divided Democratic Party at the close of the presidential primaries. 2. False Advertising Another deceptive practice engaged in by Segretti and his agents was the placement of false and misleading advertising for or against Democratic candidates on the radio and in local newspapers. Florida In Miami, Doug Kelly placed an ad on a local radio station which said that Senator Muskie believed in the right of self-determination for all people, and therefore supported the Castro government in Cuba. The ad was ostensibly purchased by the Muskie campaign organization and was designed by Kelly to alienate the Cuban voters from Senator Muskie. A similar ad was placed in the local Cuban-American newspaper Replica, which stated that Muskie believed that the United States should not interfere with the Castro government of Cuba. Again, the ad purported to be from Senator Muskie's campaign and was designed to alienate Cuban-American supporters. A number of classified ads were placed in various Miami newspapers which drew attention to Muskie's statement that he did not think the American people were ready for a black vice presidential candidate. While these small ads could hardly influence very many voters, the ads could create some division and bad feelings among the Democrats after the primary was over if Senator Muskie's campaign thought the ads were placed by other Democratic contenders. Illinois In Chicago, Tom Visney placed an anti-Muskie ad in the newspaper as well as on some of the radio stations. These ads supported Senator McCarthy's candidacy and stated that Senator Muskie had neither the emotional stability nor the experience to hold the office of the presidency. In none of these ads was it stated that they had been paid for and created by agents of the White House. Democratic Convention In May or June, Segretti and Doug Kelly ordered an airplane to fly over the Democratic Convention with a trailer which stated, Peace, pot, promiscuity, vote McGovern. Kelly was not sure if in fact the plane flew over the convention. Someone later told him that they had seen a plane with a weird message flying over the Democratic convention. 3. Pickets One of the main tenets of advice given to Segretti by Dwight Chapin was to have pickets appear at campaign appearances by other Democratic candidates in order to take advantage of the media coverage of the event. Therefore, much of Segretti's activity involved organizing pickets at the appearances of the Democratic primary contenders. Even prior to the primaries, in early November 1971, Segretti paid a friend of his from Turlock, California, to arrange for a group of pickets with signs saying, Kennedy for President, to appear in front of a San Francisco hotel where both Senators Muskie and Humphrey were appearing at a Democratic dinner. Segretti also attempted to arrange for pickets to appear at an appearance by Senator Muskie at Whittier College that same month. Unknown to Segretti, Roger Greaves, Sedan Chair 1, had also been directed by Bart Porter and Jeb Magruder to have pickets present with anti-Muskie signs. The appearance must have been an important one since Segretti was given the same directions by Dwight Chapin at the White House. Florida Segretti's most successful picketing operation was run by Robert Bentz in the Tampa area during the Florida primary campaign. Bentz recruited Kip Edwards, Al Reese, George Hearing, and an individual identified only as Duke to organize pickets against Senators Muskie and Jackson in the Tampa area. The logistics of the picketing was greatly aided by the information being provided to Bentz by Froelich from the Jackson campaign and Griffin from the Muskie campaign. Many of these picketing activities were successful in getting media coverage and in provoking dissension among the Democratic candidates. These activities included 1. Benz learned that Senator Jackson was to appear for the opening of his Tampa headquarters in January 1972. As a result, he hired a Mr. Yancey and Kip Edwards to stand across the street from the headquarters with signs saying, Believe in Muskie. 
Sigurdi was present to observe this particular demonstration, as were some news photographers who took a picture of Senator Jackson walking across the street to offer the two picketers a glass of orange juice. This photograph was reprinted widely in Florida newspapers. 2. Benz also received the schedule of the Muskie campaign train as it traveled down through Florida. He arranged for pickets to appear at the Winter Haven stop with signs saying Wallace Country. George Hearing, Kip Edwards, and the individual known as Duke showed up to picket this appearance. Ben believed that Duke was a member of the Nazi party and was told that he was a former SS officer in Hitler's stormtroopers. In addition, Benz and Hearing discussed the possibility of disrupting Senator Muskie's train schedule by furnishing false information to his headquarters as well as to the public. 3. Benz also arranged for pickets to appear at another Muskie appearance at the University of Southern Florida. There, they distributed derogatory newspaper reprints concerning Muskie. 4. Benz organized a number of other pickets at Muskie appearances in Tampa. On one occasion, he arranged for the picketing of a Muskie rally by blacks carrying racially related placards, which criticized Muskie's statements about not having a black vice presidential candidate. 5. On one occasion, Doug Kelly gave a female college student from the University of Florida $20 in cash to run naked in front of Muskie's hotel in Gainesville, screaming, Senator Muskie, I love you. Kelly testified that the incident was reported in the Gainesville papers. 6. Senator Muskie had a press conference in Miami at the Four Ambassadors Hotel shortly before the Florida primary. Kelly recruited some Cubans to picket the press conference with signs saying, Muskie, go home, and we want a free Cuba. In addition, Kelly gave the picketers Humphrey buttons to wear. One of Senator Muskie's aides asked Kelly about the identity of the picketers. Kelly explained to him confidentially that the picketers were really working for Senator Jackson. This example is a good case of how political pranks can be used both to identify a candidate with a controversial issue and to foster dissension among the Democratic candidates themselves. California In California, Segretti contacted many people to picket fundraising dinners by Democratic candidates as well as distribute false literature. For example, Segretti hired an individual named Jim Popovich, who told Segretti that he would put together a flying squad of about 10 individuals who would be available to picket any local appearances by Senator Muskie. Segretti thought the idea a good one and paid Popovich about $130 before discovering that Popovich was not producing as many pickets for these appearances as he had claimed. Pennsylvania In Pennsylvania, Segretti recruited Skip Zimmer and Bob Neely to pass out literature at Muskie campaign appearances and to organize pickets for Muskie rallies. Zimmer sent Segretti clippings from local newspapers after Muskie's appearances where Muskie was heckled and picketed to verify that the activity occurred. Exhibits in the committee record indicate that Zimmer recruited people to stand at Muskie rallies with signs saying such things as M-U-S-K-I-E spells loser and H-H-H is the man. Posters also drew attention to Muskie's pro-busing stand and pointed out that he allegedly sent his children to private schools. As Zimmer described these efforts in a note to Zagretti, Though press was disappointing, we did gradually piss off his staff and rattle him considerably. Segretti also stated that Zimmer allegedly arranged for pickets to appear at Muskie rallies and pose with signs saying, Gaze for Muskie. Hecklers were also organized by Zimmer and Neely during the Pennsylvania primary, according to Segretti. Some hecklers appeared at one Humphrey speech in Philadelphia. Following the heckling, Segretti said that Zimmer called Humphrey headquarters to tell them that Muskie had hired the hecklers for $100 apiece.
As noted earlier, Segretti also had Robert Benz fly to Pittsburgh to recruit agents to picket Muskie's campaign appearances. Benz was not as successful there as he had been in Tampa. Planned Convention Activity As discussed earlier, Segretti's recruiting of pickets for campaign appearances of Democratic candidates was supposed to reach its high point at the Democratic Convention in Miami during July 1972. Howard Hunt directed Segretti to set up a demonstration which would subsequently become violent and would be blamed on the McGovern campaign. The Watergate break-in, however, put an end to these plans. 4. Other Disruptions False Orders for Food, Flowers, and Beverages On primary day in Florida, Segretti and Kelly placed orders on behalf of the Muskie campaign for flowers, chicken, pizzas, and about $300 to $400 of liquor. Three weeks later, on the day of the Wisconsin primary, Segretti and Bentz again ordered flowers, chicken, and pizzas to be sent to Senator Muskie's hotel room, and also ordered two limousines to be sent to Senator Muskie's hotel for the use of the senator. These false orders disrupted Senator Muskie's schedule considerably. Finally, two weeks later at a Muskie fundraising dinner in Washington, D.C., Segretti and Kelly again made numerous false orders to disrupt the dinner. Kelly and Segretti ordered flowers, liquor, pizzas, and other items for the banquet charging them to the Muskie Campaign Committee. In addition, Kelly and Segretti invited six African ambassadors and their guests to attend the Muskie fundraising dinner and made arrangements for them to be picked up by limousines which were to be charged to Senator Muskie's campaign. These activities disrupted this last major fundraising effort by Senator Muskie by diverting his staff attention and resources, especially when Segretti and Kelly kept calling the limousine drivers to return to the Muskie dinner in order to be paid by the campaign. The net effect of their activities was to create a very embarrassing situation for the Muskie organization. Stink Bombs On at least four separate occasions in the Florida primary, stink bombs were used to disrupt or harass the Muskie campaign. The stink bomb was first concocted by a chemist friend of Doug Kelly. The name of the chemical substance which he produced was butyl percaptan, a foul-smelling substance which was not physically harmful but was very noxious. Shortly before the Florida primary, Senator Muskie had a campaign picnic scheduled in the Miami area. Kelly and Segretti took the chemical substance, put it in a Coke bottle, and sealed it with wax. The bottle was taken to the picnic by Kelly and Segretti and dropped on the ground, releasing the chemical substance to foul the air. After the stink bomb had been dropped, Kelly said that everybody thought that the food was bad, so it kind of made the picnic a bad affair. Following the Muskie picnic, Segretti traveled north to Tampa with three vials of butyl percaptan. Segretti gave these vials to Bob Benz with the instructions that they should be placed in Senator Muskie's headquarters. One of the vials was taken to a Muskie campaign picnic in the Tampa area and emptied on the grounds there. The other two vials were given to George Hearing by Benz with instructions to place them in the two Tampa headquarters of Senator Muskie on the evening before the primary. According to Benz, Hearing placed one of the stink bombs in the offices housing the telephone bank operation of Senator Muskie, and the other in the Tampa Muskie headquarters. Benz said that Hearing told him that at one location the material was dropped through a hole in the window, and at the other location the window was open and the stink bomb was tossed in. Segretti testified that he was told by Benz that a screen was pried open and a window lifted in order to place the stink bomb in the Muskie campaign headquarters. The placing of these stink bombs in the Muskie campaign headquarters on the evening prior to the Florida primary disrupted, confused, and unnecessarily interfered with the campaign for the office of the presidency. Other Disruptions 
A few days before the Florida primary, Senator Muskie held a press conference at the Foreign Ambassador's Hotel. Doug Kelly walked into the Muskie press conference with a long overcoat on and dropped two white mice with blue ribbons on their tails which said, Muskie is a rat fink. Kelly also released a small finch which went flying around the room of the press conference and caused a great deal of commotion and disruption to Senator Muskie's press conference. Kelly also had advance notice of Muskie's schedule in Florida. As a result, Kelly would often call the individuals who were on Senator Muskie's schedule and change the hour of the appointment to some other time, or even cancel the appointment. Needless to say, this tactic greatly disconcerted both Senator Muskie and the press. Both Kelly and Benz made a practice of placing other Democratic candidates' stickers on the posters and literature of other Democrats. This practice was designed to foster divisions and bad feelings among the Democratic candidates. Kelly also attempted to tie up the phone banks of the Muskie campaign on the day of the Florida primary by dialing the telephone numbers of the Muskie phone bank operation from pay telephones. Kelly would then leave the telephone off the hook as soon as the call was answered at the Muskie campaign. He then left the phone booth and placed an out-of-order sign on the outside to ensure that the line would be tied up all day. The method, however, didn't work because of the automatic cutoff from the phone company. End of section 16